And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 141 of The Drop Set. Your host, Darren Starr, here. Thank you. This is the comatose edition of The Drop Set because uh, I'm in pain. This sucks. Uh, so this is a follow-up from uh, last Friday's dentist appointment. I went in for my crown, and it was all well and good. And I walked out of there. And I'm like, all right, thank goodness that's over with. And then uh, went to the gym and got about 20 minutes into my back workout. And then the numbing stuff started wearing off. I'm like, oh, this kind of sucks. It's pretty much been uh, hurting at about a 6 out of 10 ever since. Um, so I've been taking ibuprofen, Tylenol. Actually, it was bad enough. I went back to the dentist yesterday and said, well, what the F is going on here, man? Because now I'm thinking because that was a, a crown that was threatening to be a root canal. But then he's like, no, don't think we need to. We're good. I'm like, all right, cool. So... Now he's thinking it's just like bacteria buildup causing inflammation. Maybe the, the temporary crown isn't seated right or something like that. I mean, it's seated right, but maybe it's just, you know, pushing against things because, you know, it's not one that was made for me specifically. So I don't know. Point being, this week has been pretty miserable. Um, it has sucked. I've been a little distracted. I feel like I haven't put in my best work, so I apologize to all my clients. I've tried. I've been a little, uh, what might be the best word for it? maybe impatient and irritable. Uh, and I am hoping that that is largely just how I perceive things and that uh, generally speaking, it goes unnoticed by everybody else. But uh, I feel like I'm a little on edge this week. So what I'm hoping to do here is get through this podcast without thoroughly embarrassing myself like I did on Monday. And you're like, dude, what are you talking about? We've been waiting for this podcast. You didn't have one on Monday. No, but I recorded it and then I scrapped it. I never published it because uh, I was thinking about it after I recorded it because my typical pr procedure here is record it in the morning and then let it sit. Not that it needs to, but just I got to get around doing other stuff because it takes a while to actually publish it, write stuff up for it, et cetera. So I, I typically will do that. You know, I'll record it, eat, go to the gym, come back, and then do that part. Well, in that gestation period, uh, I was thinking about it. I'm like, that was a really, really shitty podcast I just recorded. Like, that was lousy. Like, not in an entertaining kind of way. It was just low quality, and I was, like, unnecessarily snarky. I'm like, man, yeah, I'm not going to publish that. I'll re-record it. And uh, the intention was to do that maybe Tuesday. Well, to, you know, the week got away from me. So here I am today. I'm going to kind of re-record it, but also just kind of start some original stuff from scratch. So... Anyway, a few bookkeeping notes. Um, the call-in number, 865-518-2974. We've got a few messages to run through today. Uh, and then at the website, thedropset.com, there is a poll. Um, the poll asks, have you competed before? Um, your options, yes, many times, yes, once, no, but I'm planning to or thinking about it, no, and I'm not interested. So this is what I call a demographic poll. I want to know who's listening here. Right now, the competitors um, have it 15 to 1 competitive or, you know, um, aspiring competitors. There's only one person who has voted and says, no, I'm, and I'm not interested. So interesting. Uh, let me know. Let me know. Um, the dropset.com right up at the top of the uh, website there. So, uh, there will be a new poll soon as well. And this one will be a little bit more interesting and this will have a big impact. So, um, I am working on logo design for the drop set. This is a logo that will be featured on clothing apparel that you could purchase from the swag shop. Uh, and the, I will have a few designs to choose from, and I will put it up for a vote as well. Uh, so you will have a say 
and I want your opinion once those go live. And once they do go live, I'll have them up on the website. Um, you can uh, look through the choices and cast your vote once those are up. Uh, that'll be coming in the next week or two. So stay tuned for that. That'll be something that I really want to drive like a lot of votes towards. I want to get a lot of opinion on that. So um, what do we got going on here? Uh, personal update from me. What's going on? Well, I'm eating a lot of food. I'm still hungry. I'm lifting pretty hard. It's been a really good week in the gym in spite of the fact that I've been hurting and things have been sucking. So ibuprofen has been helping big time, kind of alternated between that and acetaminophen. Uh, I really hate taking stuff. I really do. And if I get to the point where I need to do it regularly, you know something's wrong. So uh, like right now, I am, uh, I'm operating without a net. I don't have anything in my system currently. Uh, just because part of it is it's not bad enough right now for me to warrant taking something. And also, I don't want to numb the pain at this point because I want to know if it is actually getting better or not. So I am sucking it up. And uh, I thought about putting off this podcast till later. Um, just because it is awfully distracting and it kind of sucks a little bit. And I know, woe is me. All the all the violins are playing music for me right now. I get it. Yeah, it, it, that's valid. That's valid. I I gotta you you gotta fucking toothache, Darren. Just you know, chill your shit out, suck it up, and stop talking about it. Fair point. Totally get that. You're right. So, what else is going on? Um. Oh boy, I'm just trying to think if there's anything noteworthy that's been going on in my life. I did upgrade my uh, drum set on Friday. Actually, I got a new uh, shell kit there, much to my wife's chagrin. I was at Guitar Center last week looking at options. And uh, while I was there, I just took a few pictures and sent them over to her. And I'm like, which of these matches our basement better, do you think? Because, <laughs> you know, our our, uh, our music space is in a shared space that's also like our TV slash entertaining space. And it's where my office is as well. So uh, it's a big, big open room. So it's not like it can just get tucked away in, in a room behind a closed door or anything like that. So it does have to look nice and kind of be uh, appropriately uh, coordinated with everything else. So uh, and her response was, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> just because she she is uh, kind of like me like if, if she's not a gym goer but if she was she would be way more put off and irritated by people doing snatches and cleans and dropping barbells than me she is very very uh, uh noise sensitive and there is nothing noisier than a drum set i can promise you that the one that we had before little little jazz fusion kit i mean just that just means that the uh the drum sizes are smaller so it's still loud but it doesn't put up quite as much noise so this one it's bigger man does it does it crank out some sound uh, it's, it's pretty awesome so it's a seven piece kit it's uh got a really really brilliant white finish which is awesome i love it uh and it's uh i managed to get it tuned up i got new heads for it and uh the the kick drum actually i used the stock heads on that just tighten it up, deaden it a little bit. It's got a really nice slap on the kick. Sounds great. I love it. Really good thump to it. Um, the toms, there's 8, 10, 12, 14, and 16-inch toms. The 14 and 16s are uh, floor toms. 8, 10, and 12 are racks. Um, they, they actually, with the, I got Evans G2 coated heads. I know everybody really cares about this. Indulge me for a second. I don't have anybody else to talk to about this stuff, so I promise I'll keep it relatively brief. Um 
So I got the coated heads for it, put it on, and tuning drum heads is such a pain in the ass because with most of the drums, they have you have the, the wooden shell, and then you have the head that goes over it. The head is the thing that you actually hit with the stick, and then there's a metal rim that goes on top of that, and then there are screws that go through holes in the metal rim that attach into lugs on that are drilled into the shell. So it's basically like a, a screw that goes into a socket. Well, each head on the toms, on average, they have eight, um, and there are two heads because there's one on the bottom as well. So you've got 16 uh, screws and lugs, and those are all tuning points, and they all have to be in tune with one another. 16 things per drum, and this is a seven-piece kit. And actually, the uh, the kick, I think, has 24 lugs, and the snare has 24 lugs as well. So uh, on average, though, the toms are where I spend a lot of the time. The kick Tuning the kick is pretty easy. Tuning the snare, that's the one thing that's not done yet. It still sounds like garbage, uh, so I need to spend some more time on that maybe today. But the toms, you've got on average 16 tuning points per. So you've got the, the resonant head underneath that has to get tuned to a pitch. You've got the batter head on top that has to get tuned to a pitch. They don't get tuned to the same pitch necessarily because the resonant head underneath is clear. It's single ply. The batter head is coated. It's two ply. It's going to have a naturally lower pitch. So you've got those two pitches that have to be at a, an appropriate interval to one another. And the, the relationship between those two creates the fundamental pitch of the drum. So... Not only does the resonant head, all eight lugs, have to be in tune with itself, the batter head, all eight lugs, has to be in tune with itself. Those two have to be at an appropriate interval to one another. And then you've got that whole drum, once it's done, it has to be in tune with all of the others. So that when you go down the toms from larger to smaller, they, the pitch drops down at a predictable interval. So um, it, was, uh, it was difficult. And also just, you know, Flapping a drum with a stick and hearing the pitch is a skill, and it's difficult. And I'm happy to say, like, man, it sounds good. It sounds good right now. Nothing has too much ring or boom. Um, the pitches are all spot on. Pretty happy with it. The snare still sucks. I'll fix it. So anyway, that's been uh, uh, how I've been occupying my scant free time um, this week, mostly over the weekend. So good times, good times. Uh, what else has been going on? Not much. Training, dieting, et cetera, et cetera. Walking Taz, he's been enjoying that, so it's all good. Let's uh, jump into it. I want to go over a couple of messages here. Um, let's start with that and see what we got. Hi, Darren. This is Steve from New York. I just have some questions regarding um, exercise programming for specific things. So, for example, if I want to make the, the outer soup of my quad a little bit thicker, what kind of movements would I have to do? And if I wanted more thickness and density in my back, what kind of movements would I have to do there? Um, that's about it. Thank you. I'm enjoying the show, and uh, I look forward to listening. Thanks. Bye. Awesome, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate the question there. So, yeah, what do we do if we want to train for specific things? So, you know, the specificity principle says if you want something, do that thing. Um, so if you want bigger legs, you have to train legs. If you want a thicker back, you have to train back. But then we can dig in next level and say, okay, yeah, but specifically I want more peak on the bicep. I want more thickness or density in the back. I want more sweep on the quads. Um, how do we do that? And this goes back to uh, – what we uh, what we talked about previously um, with a, a, a message last week talking about you know trying to uh, reduce pain from patellofemoral syndrome and targeting the teardrop of the quad. So you know there's very specific things that we can do that. So if we're targeting quad sweep, um, you know basically I mean the, the the quadricep as you might be able to infer from the name is made up of four distinct muscles. So the one that we're talking about here is the vastus lateralis. That's the one on the outer part that really determines the sweep. So First of all, your sweep is largely determined by genetic potential. So all four of those muscles, you know, they, they have a standard 
what would be the right word? Configuration, maybe ratio between them. So, I mean, clearly they have different origin insertion points. Uh, they're layered in different ways as well. Uh, but also, like, you may have just genetically a larger uh, vastus lateralis or smaller than some other groups. You know, the, the standard ratio may not apply to you. You may have a little bit more or less here. That you may be more prone to develop this or, or less. So, and there's nothing you can do about that. All you can do is take, take what you're given and then try to apply some training principles and try to take what you're given and make more out of it. So, uh, for the, for the vastus lateralis specifically, like it is the, the bulky part of the quad. So the good news is pretty much anything that you can do is going to hit it harder. Generally more close stance work is going to do that. So close stance, leg press, close stance, hack squat, close stance squats, front squats are going to hit it hard as well. Uh, Anything where you get a, a good degree of of knee flexion is going to do it. So if you're doing, uh, let's say, you know, really limited range of motion, <clears throat> excuse me, squats or leg press, you're not going to hit that area as hard. You you want to you want to get good depth on it, uh, but but also just really focus on intensity. I mean, there's there's there isn't a lot of secrets to to tell about that. It, you need to really suck it up and it, it just expect it. Okay. These leg workouts, these are going to be your worst hours of the week. And if they aren't, then that quad sweep isn't going to grow no matter how you target it. Uh, but narrow stance work is going to be a little bit more effective. And we'd also talked about for, for the teardrop part of the quad, how if you, uh, externally rotate your leg a little bit on a leg extension, it's going to hit it harder. Well, opposite's true here. If you internally rotate, you're going to hit the vastus lateralis a little bit harder. So, uh, that, uh, that being said, it's also not just like a toes in. I said that the targeting the teardrop isn't just about toes out, but it's really about externally rotating the leg and like presenting that teardrop part of the quad up um, so that it's, it's uh, you know, it, it helps with focus, but also it just drives it a little bit harder. Same thing here. So you want to internally rotate. So that's one thing what I would recommend really just focusing on one leg at a time, um, not alternating reps because that's impractical, but just turn yourself in the seat a little bit, internally rotate your leg, stick that hip forward a little bit, turn the toe in, all of those things, and you're going to find that you hit the vastus lateralis a little bit harder. So for back thickness and density. Density is more of a quality issue. That's not really a development thing. That comes from uh, muscle maturity, uh, diet, glycogen saturation, overall fullness and hardness. Um, not so much a training thing. Now, your density can diminish if your training sucks, and it can increase if your training's good. That's more of a quality thing and not like an exercise targeting thing. Um, so really, it, I mean, Steve, what I would tell you is uh, I want to see your back, and then I can tell you. Um, just because you, you might have like really overdeveloped rhomboids and traps and your lats may be really weak or maybe the opposite or maybe it's just, you know, upper back is great. There's just no thickness to the spinal erectors or anything like that. Who does that describe? Hello, this guy right here. So uh, it, it depends. I mean, basically with back, if you're looking at thickness, the cliche is you row. You, you do vertical movements for width and you do uh, horizontal movements for thickness. Now, I will tell you also that's crap. Um, because you can row for width and you can do pull downs for thickness as well with very, very, very minor technique adjustments. Um, and I say minor to the point where unless your form is like really, really lockstep with ideal mechanicals, um, then you're, you're already making these variations. So, um, that's why I never really differentiate between, Oh, well, we're doing two back days and this one's for width and this one's for thickness. I'm like, no, no, that's not really how it works. 
unless you're you're targeting exclusively like traps um, on a workout, and I'm not just talking shrugs, but I'm talking like horizontal rows with a trap emphasis based on your grip and your movement path selection. But even then, you're going to hit the lats too. You you can't pull them out of those movements. Um, you can target them less, but still, I, I don't. I find it silly to try and differentiate between thickness and width on a back workout. So um, it's tough to say for sure. Um, but I will tell you that the old adage of you row for thickness and you do vertical pulls for width is garbage. Um, so don't listen to that. And what I think it's a good idea to just get a mix of everything. Like, you know, back is with very few exceptions, back is made up of movements in those two categories. There's horizontal movements and there's vertical movements. So horizontal movements, barbell row, dumbbell row, any kind of machine row, anything that says row is a horizontal movement. Any kind of a pull down is a vertical movement or a pull up. Why do you know that? Well, because it has up and down in the name of the exercise. Uh, the only other thing would be uh, like a pullover, which is shoulder flexion, which is great for lats and terrace major. So, um, and honestly, I'm a big fan of plugging in pullovers uh, just as standard fare for pretty much any back workout because it's a great, great exercise. Um, a friend of mine once called that the the squat for the upper body. Uh, and I'm like, I kind of agree with that. It's not a bad uh, comparison, just as far as the overall utility and function that it can have. And also, also just a really good mobility exercise as well. So there's a lot of value in that for sure. I'm a big fan. So um, that's great. So great question, Steve. I appreciate that. Thank you. And if anybody else has specific training questions, shoot them over. Absolutely. We'll do a little training workshop for sure. I did mention before, um, I'm looking for ideas also for recurring podcast segments. And I have received some submissions from people. Thank you. You know who you are if you sent me your stuff. And I thank you for that just because, boy, my brainstorming skills, they suck. I feel like I have kind of, kind of completely exhausted the well as far as what I can do with this podcast as far as new and creative stuff. So your ideas are a huge, huge help. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, okay, so I want to progress now to an email that I got. This is from Scott in Seabrook, Texas. So thank you, Scott, for sending this over. He says, and I quote, <clears throat> I did it again. The <clears throat> is not part of the quote. Let me try that again. He says, <clears throat> quote, here we go. Love your podcast. Binge listens to all the episodes over a four-week span a couple of months ago. I've even listened to a few of the older ones a few extra times. Time out. Oh, God. That always makes me nervous when somebody says that, just because I am fully aware of the amount of really ridiculous and stupid shit I say on here. And the fact that anybody listens to any of that stuff more than once honestly just kind of terrifies me a little bit. So, uh, okay. Un Untime out. Scott continues, I ran across this YouTube video posted a couple days ago going into effective reps. I found it really informative and it went into several theories. I think I believe we kind of already know intuitively. And then he shares the link. This is a video titled Effective Reps, Why Training to Failure Matters for Muscle Growth by Jeff Nippard. Uh, and he continues, Scott does, the premise of the video is that the reps that matter the most are the ones where your muscles are close to failure. Basically, the number of total reps do not matter as much as making sure the set properly fatigues the muscle. I hear so many people worry about what exercises they should be doing, and I try to tell them that almost any program will work, especially in the beginning, as long as you're properly working the muscles you want to target. Now, that is time out. This is me here. Uh, that is such an important statement. I am going to do something unprecedented and annoying, and I'm going to go back and read that whole thing again for emphasis. Rewind. 
I hear so many people worry about what exercises they should be doing, and I try to tell them that almost any program will work, especially in the beginning, as long as you're properly working the muscles you want to target. Scott continues, the actual exercises don't matter as much. For example, barbell versus dumbbells versus machines. Uh, as long as you're actually getting after it on whatever equipment you choose to use. So, and that is absolutely correct. And so this then, this ties in, well, what about Steve's question about targeting this or that? It's still totally valid, totally and absolutely valid. But if you're going to say like, okay, so close stance leg press, well, should I use this leg press or that leg press? You know, is it better to do a squat or a leg press if I'm doing close stance? And the answer is, do either one. And honestly, the correct answer is whichever one you feel you can go the hardest on. When I'm doing exercise programming, I always present um, the the workouts to people. I'm like, here's what we're doing. Here's your agenda. Get on it. And invariably, the people that I am always like, all right, we're going places here, are the people who respond back and say, okay, so I went through it. I'm having trouble with this movement. This didn't feel as effective as I wanted it to. And so I tried this. What do you think? I'm like, all right. So now I know that you are thinking on the right level. And it's not just like, okay, well, this is the workout I'm doing. And regardless of how anything feels, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow the orders. And you know, if something doesn't feel effective, oh, well, it must be you know just how it's supposed to feel. No. The thing is, as I've said many times, every exercise is a skill. And your skill at some of these is going to be higher than it is at others. And you're going to struggle at connecting with others. And I don't think that's a reason to avoid doing a particular exercise, but I do think it's a reason to just say, hmm, my skill isn't as developed in doing this exercise. I need to work on that. So don't run away from anything, but also recognize that chasing something that feels more effective is also totally appropriate and, and a, good, a good idea. So um, the YouTube video here, now this is, this is what would I... Uh, if I was going to be really cynical, which you know me, that's kind of like my general state, um, I would describe this YouTube video as nine minutes and 49 seconds of duh. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> this sounded really dickish, but eh, you know, uh, it's also, uh, it's, it's true. I mean, this is very obvious stuff. It's stuff that we already all know intuitively if we've, if we've spent some time training and spent some time thinking about this. The difference now is we have a study to back it up and say like, oh, okay, yeah. So that stuff that we just assumed we knew, and uh, kind of like bro science, uh, it, well, no, it's actual science. It's, it's legit. So um, there's a study referenced in here where they do a comparison where they have people uh, perform an exercise for 10 reps and they, they split it into, into two groups. So group A um, did all 10 reps and this is at a weight that is close to the individual's 10 rep max. Um, so they had the first group do all 10 reps consecutively. They had the second group do five reps, take a 30 second break and then do the remaining five reps. And what they found was, well, doing the 10 reps consecutively is more effective. Because if, if you've got a weight that's your 10 rep max, you're doing five reps, and then you're breaking for a full 30 seconds, and you're doing another five reps, it's not going to be nearly as difficult. So basically, the, sum, uh, of the, the summary of this study is if something is harder, that means it's more productive. And they, they go into recommending things like you know drop sets and rest pause sets so that you're doing more work in that failure zone. As Arnold famously said, I will paraphrase here, I... Uh, I go until I hit failure and then I start counting my reps. Um, and as he says, you know, it's those reps that, uh, that create champions, which is absolutely true. And if you are not a competitor, it's those reps that create growth, which I think we can all get behind. So yeah, effective reps. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I, I will also uh, often say, you know, let's say you've got a set of 15 reps, for example. You're doing an exercise, your target is 15 reps. Um, with a lot of people, and this is common for people who are relatively new to lifting, they'll start on the set and around rep 12, it gets difficult. And then they will do reps 13, 14, and 15. And that's where they really feel it. So for them, it's like those first 12 reps were just what they had to do to get to the hard stuff. Um, so they had, a, you know, basically three effective reps, except they weren't really all that effective. But it's the way that that scale has been calibrated internally in their head. They're the ones that felt most effective. Um, but were they effective enough to really create growth? That's a big question. And there are probably a lot of people listening to this that are like, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. And I'm telling you, you don't know what I mean because you haven't pushed back, pushed through that threshold yet. Um, I'd say if you've been lifting for less than a couple of years, you still have a lot of recalibration left to do for your scale. Um, so, and the main thing there is however hard you think you're pushing, I need you pushing harder. And I don't want you to think there's a cap uh, or, or someplace where that story ends, because it does not. Now, it's not a linear process. We've talked about how progressive overload works before. It's not a linear process. It's not a straight line. It's going to have some waves to it, and that's totally fine. That's appropriate. That's the way it's supposed to work. Um, but your overall intensity should always be increasing. So think about it this way. I want you doing workouts a year from now that you would look at now and be like, there's no way I can do that. That that's the goal. I mean that that's an appropriate time frame to think about it over as well. So, uh, and that that's also where um, rest, pause, and drop sets come into play. That's where my own ascending threes protocol comes into play as well. Um, those are all things that are designed to recalibrate your intensity scale. Drop sets less than less than the others, but especially rest, pause, and ascending threes. It's going to get you moving weight that you were unaccustomed to in the case of ascending threes, and let you know what that really feels like. And then also just say, like, oh, okay, I can move this weight only for a few reps, but maybe for a regular set, I could go a little bit higher than I have been. Um, and then for for rest, pause. The idea there is okay. Well, I hit a rep target here that I didn't think I could at this same weight before, so where I thought I had a max effort working set for 10 reps at this specific weight before, I just did that same weight for 18 reps here. Maybe I need to reevaluate you know, the, the weight that I was operating at before because I thought it was hard, but now that I did this, I know what's really hard. And that, okay, I thought it was a 9 out of 10, probably more like a 7 now that I think about it. So, And you get to recalibrate your intensity scale that way. So yes, effective reps, 100% absolutely agree with that. Really, really good stuff. So um, let's see. What is next? Oh, I uh, wanted to talk about uh, something kind of interesting, which is the answer to the question, are you ready to compete? It's a tricky question. It, it is a, a very tricky question, and there's a lot of factors that go into this, but there's a lot of uh, there a lot of determining factors that I think are worth discussing and talking about and uh, th this is not going to end in a really simple way for you to say, oh, yes, clearly I am ready, or no, I'm clearly not. But it gives you some things to think about, at least, and some things that I consider if somebody approaches me and says, hey, I want to prep for a show, uh, regardless of how long it is. Because in the extreme examples, let's let's take it here, where I will get an email from somebody that clearly does not look like they have any business being up on stage and they want to do a show in eight weeks. 
uh, I'm like, okay, you know, let's be realistic about this. <laughs> we, we, you know, you don't have good development. You don't have good conditioning. You don't look like you're 18 weeks out. You look like you might be, you know, or you don't look like eight weeks out. You look like you might be 28 weeks or 38 weeks out. You know, we've got some work to do. I think a lot of it is just people, uh, these are people that um, fall into a couple categories. Don't see themselves the same way, like they think they look better than they do. Or they've never been to a show and they just don't know what you know what to expect. In which case, I'd be like, you know, one of the first criteria, if you're going to compete, before you even say, I want to compete, go to a show. Watch it. Not that it's going to change your mind or anything like that, but you need to have an idea of what you're getting into, what's expected, what do the people look like up there. Uh, because you can watch the Olympia, which is this weekend, and say like, okay, I want to compete. I don't look like those guys, but I can compete. You know, and be like, well, yeah, clearly you don't look like those guys, but uh, you got to look, I guess to put the, the right word would be competitive. And, and what does that look like? What does it look like to be competitive in your division of choice? Uh, and if you go to a local show, so I'm not talking about go to a pro show, go to a show like one that you would be in. Um, that's what really matters um, because looking at pro physiques, especially for guys, I mean, come on, you know, the, the guys that compete at the pro level are ridiculous. Uh, and the level of development that they have is going to take years and years and years to chase down. Um, for women, it can be a little bit of a different story. Like if you're looking at the bikini division, yeah, the level of development there is not really mind blowing. Um, you can get to that stage uh, without killing yourself for a decade. Uh but there are other factors to consider as well. Poise, presentation, overall aesthetic. So, uh, but you need to go to a show. Um, and if you, if you have decided you want to compete and you want to do a show in eight weeks and do a really short prep and just rush and try and get up there, go to a damn show first and look at what you're getting into. Um, and there, there's nothing that I can do or say if, you're, if your vision is skewed towards yourself and you see yourself um, – better than what reality is. I can't help you with that. What I can do is look at you and say, you're not eight weeks out. You're not even close. Uh, and you know, to be clear also, I'm being very blunt here because I'm not talking to anybody specific. If I'm talking to somebody specific, I don't sugarcoat it, but I'm not a dick about it. I'm not going to say like, dude, you are nowhere even near eight weeks out. I'm going to say something like eight weeks is too soon. You know, realistically, we have development to, to work on. We need to get your body fat down lower than what we can do in eight weeks. Um, this is not a, a, a valid scenario for a rescue prep where you've been doing this and you're behind. You decided to pull the trigger on this too late. And, you know, you need to look at something later on. That's all there is to it. So I will be very, very real with people. Now, that being said, I have helped people get ready for shows that I didn't think were a good idea. Because I tell people flat out, I'm like, this is not a good idea. You know, there, there's no value in you doing this show at eight weeks out. But nonetheless, some people will be like, yeah, I understand that. But for a few factors, I really want to do it anyway. I'm like, all right, as long as we are clear on the expectations, you're not, you, you are, we are looking to hopefully try and maybe come close to making you look competitive. It's going to be a stretch. I, I don't expect it to happen. But if you want to go in and just see what you can do and get a show under your belt, I'll help you with it. But just don't have, don't go into it with any expectations other than it being an experience. Um, and I've helped people with that before. It's not my favorite thing to do in the world, but nonetheless, um, it's a success for that person. And so I, I don't feel bad about it necessarily. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you, you're, 
you, you need to go and, and see a show first before you know what you're getting. But so so you know exactly what you're getting into, what the expectation is, how the show is structured, how it's put together. Um, I get questions from people all the time, like, okay, do I do my individual walk in the morning or at night? I'm like, go to a show, watch a show. <laughs> You know, that that should be mandatory before you actually do one. Your first show that you attend should not be one that you are in. Um, I think that's a huge mistake just because you have no clue and no amount of me telling you what's going to happen is going to substitute for the fact that you haven't seen it yourself. And one thing I always tell people is, okay, the, the main thing to know when you're going to a show is pay attention because... Whatever I tell you, whatever your own previous experience may tell you, it will it will probably be entirely different from that. You know, just expect to uh, have things thrown at you in different directions, and uh, you know, things happening in a different order, last minute changes. Oh, we're not coming in on this side of the stage; we're coming in on this side. Oh, the backstage space is off limits. I need everybody to hang out here instead. Um, oh, we no, we don't have any weights available for pumping up. Sorry, nope. You're just gonna have to do isometrics. Hopefully, you brought bands with you. Expect the unexpected. That's why you pack five suitcases worth of shit to take to a show. Um, that's why I tell people to focus on your overall vocabulary of movements, like how you transition from this pose into the next, rather than having everything totally choreographed out. Like, here's my individual routine. I'm gonna walk here. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this because. You know, you might say, okay, now for my T-walk, I'm going to walk to this point, and then I'm going to take eight steps forward. I'm going to lead with this foot, and then I'm going to land on this foot, and I'm going to go here. I'm like, yeah, well, what if the stage isn't big enough for that? Or what if it's way bigger than you're thinking, and suddenly you're doing everything in a tiny little box in the middle of the stage, and you're not really you know, using the stage to, your, to its full benefit? Um, you know, have the vocabulary of movements. Like, this is how I walk. This is how I turn. This is what this pose looks like. And just be able to speak fluently in that dialect so that you can then move from point A to point B, wherever those points might be, and it looks appropriate and it looks rehearsed. It's the vocabulary. Um, you know, think about this. You you practice vocabulary. You practice grammar. You practice sentence structure. You don't rehearse exact things to say. That's the idea. So go to a show. That's the first thing. Other things to uh, consider when asking the question, am I ready to compete? Here's the big one. What's your overall level of total muscular development look like? Chances are, this is an old adage from another coach. I don't remember who this was attributed to, but this rings true. It goes back for years. You always have more body fat than you think you do, and you never have as much muscle as you think you do. Uh, that is pretty universally true. When, whenever you're trying to do your first cut, uh, everybody's like, I weigh 190 right now. If I can get down to 175, I think I'll be good. And then you get to 175, you're like, I might need to get down to 160. Shit. Uh, you, you always have more body fat than you think. So you always need to get leaner than you think that you do if you want to be really, really competitive and, and be truly stage lean. So, um, But how much total development do you have? Um, here's the thing. If I'm looking at somebody who wants to compete and they want to jump right into prep, they're like, I'm ready. Let's six, 16 weeks. Let's do it. And if I'm looking at you and uh, I'm like, and I, I, the, my first question that comes to mind is, how long has this person been training? Um, then chances are that means you don't have enough total development. Um, you know, the idea being, there's a couple reasons. First of all, metabolic factors. The more muscle you've got on your frame, the higher your metabolism is, the more calories you burn passively at rest, the more effective your prep is going to be. The other thing is aesthetic. Um, do you have enough muscle left on your frame that when we get rid of the body fat, there's enough left to actually, you know, show, have, have some shape left. Um, and I, I can tell you, uh, I, I, 
work with, well, not work with, but well, some, but uh, I get inquiries from a lot of people and I do a lot of evaluations for people. And I, I very, very often say, you just don't have enough muscle to compete. Train for a few more years. And you know, that's a hard truth a lot of people aren't prepared to take. Um, a few more years. I've already been training for three years. Well, that's irrelevant. You need to train better. You need to get your diet in order, whatever. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're telling me that your goal is that you want a pro card, the answer is not to compete in 16 weeks. That is not going to be a step in the right direction. You know, I mean, there, there's value in getting that stage experience, yes. So I won't tell somebody that they absolutely can't, but people are, are emailing me and they're asking me for a recommendation. And my recommendation is be ready for your first show. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. It can take years of training to get ready for your first show, but then you can do a second one another 10 weeks or whatever. You know, I mean, you've got to develop that base. You've got to establish that base, and then you fine-tune from there. But you, know, you walk into that first show, I don't care if you're doing bikini, if you're doing figure, if you're doing classic physique or whatever. You walk in and you don't have enough muscle on your frame, that's the first and maybe the last thing that anybody's going to tell you as far as feedback is concerned. You just need to be bigger, more size, more size. Uh, you know, even in, in bikini, that is not uncommon feedback. Now, usually it's conditioning because if you're lacking size, it's hard to get the conditioning that you need to, to see the little bit of separation that they want in bikini. So they're going to tell you, work on your conditioning. What they really mean is you need more muscle on your frame to help aid in bringing out that conditioning. So what is your total level of development? Uh, and just keep in mind, how long you've been training doesn't really matter. It's, it's what kind of results have you seen from that training? How long have you been training effectively? You know, we talked about effective reps just a few minutes ago. Effective years is a good way to measure training because I've been training for 20 plus years. Not all of those years have been effective. So um, how much total development you have? What is your current level of conditioning is another uh, very obvious factor. If you want to do a show in eight weeks and it looks like you've got to drop 25 pounds to get there, we're not going to do that show <laughs> unless, as I mentioned before, unless you've got a really compelling reason to do it. Like, you know, uh, my uh, the only thing I can think of is just so tragic I don't even want to mention it. But if, if you're doing it in somebody's memory or something like that, like, okay, we can do a show for that reason. That's that's valid. Otherwise, pick a different show. Pick a later show. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're coming at this and you've got, you know, you want to do a full 16-week prep, but you've got 40 pounds to drop, you're going to need more time. We're going to need more time. Um, but more often than not, I would say, yeah, it's not uncommon that somebody's ready to do a full prep, but they just got more weight to lose and we need more time. That's not uncommon. More common is somebody who wants to do a really short prep, but they've just got way too much body fat to drop in, in a short time. Like, you know, I've heard things as low as, you know, I've, I've got a show coming up in five weeks. Can you help me with it? I'm like, well, five weeks is barely long enough for me to learn about how your body works, much less, you know, get you in on the home stretch for a show. Let's look at some photos and see where you got. And, you know, they don't even look like they're 16 weeks out. I'm like, no, five weeks? No. And that, that's where the reality check comes in. And I will say, you are nowhere near close to being ready for a show in five weeks. And I will say it point blank like that just because I got to get that point across. I can't sugarcoat it. I can't slow walk that thing. I can't say it nicely because it's not going to register. I'm like, you are not in the ballpark for being five weeks out. You walk up on that stage, it is not going to be a good experience for you. I will help somebody uh, on a prep if they are not necessarily totally ready, but if they're way off the mark, I'm going to tell them no, and I don't want to be part of that, you know, just because it is not going to be a good experience for you. You know, the, the prep will be hard. It's five weeks, you know, not like anything can be deathly hard in five weeks. You can do anything for five weeks. Um, 
But the show experience will be lousy because you will be very, very uncompetitive and you will not feel good about that. So, and I, I don't want to help be, help someone be, be a part of a process like that. So, um, what is your current level of conditioning? That's the other thing. And so these are all things where, you know, I do evaluations for people all the time. You email me through my website, fivestarphysique.com. We can hash this out. We can talk about it. And I can, I'll tell you, I'll give you an honest assessment. How far out do I think you are? You know, you look like you're 30 weeks out to me. Uh, here's how I would spend that time because realistically at that point you've got about 14 weeks before you really need to jump into prep. Um, so how do we spend that 14 weeks? And it might be like, well, we've got a lot of body fat to drop, so we need to start that process now. Uh, and you know, it's not uncommon for somebody's first prep if you're coming from a, a relatively unconditioned state to take 30 weeks. Um, and I think it's smarter to break that up so it's not 30 consecutive weeks, but maybe you do a 10-week cut, four weeks of maintenance and metabolic recovery, and then the full proper 16-week cut. But just expect, like, yeah, that's going to be a long time. You know, that's two-thirds of a year at that point. That's a long stretch, long stretch. So um, what's your experience like dieting? That's another big question here. So um, do you have any experience dieting? If so, I don't think your first experience should really be a, a prep just because you you will come into this without a frame of reference and uh, – I don't know. I mean, I think the the bigger factor for me on that and the bigger concern is what happens after the show. If if uh, pre-contest prep is your first experience dieting, um, I think the likelihood of you having a really bad rebound after that prep is is big. Whereas if you kind of understand yourself a little bit more, you've got a little bit of experience operating in a deficit, um, you know, restricting things a little bit, uh, operating on, on low calories and operating at a high level on low calories – uh, I think it's a little bit more realistic, but having some diet experience under your belt can certainly be helpful. So we've talked about attending a show, your overall level of development, your current conditioning, your diet experience. What about your current environment? I'm talking about your life environment, um, stress, other outside factors, uh, life complications, your schedule. There is a right time and a wrong time to prep. And for a lot of people, you've just got to recognize, like, okay, I want to do this show. It's in 14 weeks. I want to do it more than anything else. But I've got X, Y, and Z going on. It's the busy season at work. Um, uh, I've got three weddings to attend during that stretch. My anniversary happens then. Um, it, there's a work holiday party as well. And, you know, these are all things that are really important to me. I want to be able to partake in those. I'm like, yeah, that, no, th this is like the perfect storm for having a clusterfuck of a prep. Um, that's terrible. And even just a, a couple of those can really throw a wrench into plan. So you always want to pick a show when your prep is going to be easier, when you are less stressed, you know, when things are good. Uh, here's the thing. Prep doesn't make your life better. Uh, a lot of people think, well, you know, if I can just, you know, I'm unhappy and if I can get to the physique that I want, then, uh, you know, things will be better. No, getting there is going to be, it's going to make everything worse. You know, once you get there, sure, you may be more comfortable in yourself. I don't think you will find happiness in doing that. Um, I think if you do, I think we need to have a, a longer, more therapeutic and in-depth talk about what really what happiness really is. Um, but no, getting to that point is going to make all of those things worse. Um, you know, some people feel real, really good during prep. That's um, it's uncommon. And even the people that feel good, if you ask them point blank, be like, yeah. Had some really rough stretches there. It was really hard, and it was really tough to keep things going for a while. That is pretty universal when it comes to getting ready for a show, or or let's just be clear, operating at a deficit for a goal you're serious about, whatever it happens to be. So, um, picking the right time 
where it's going to be less of a, an ask, uh, less of a huge ordeal, just because you don't have as many things in the way is going to be big. Um, and also, I mean, you know, there there are, there's a whole spectrum uh, of how much are you willing to sacrifice in order to to come into a show the way that you want? Because for some people, it, it's it's a hobby. You know, it's something that they do because it's fun. It gives them something to focus on. But they're not going to kill themselves to get ready for a show. Now, I I get it. I don't judge those people necessarily. You know, they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm in prep. I'm eight weeks out. I'm doing fine. You know, I'm I'm on ninety five percent of the time. So. You know, a good friend's in town. They want to go out for some drinks. I haven't done that in a while. You know, I'll do it. I'm just going to be be very moderate about it. And that's what happens. That plays out exactly fine. You know, for a lot of people, and I would say my default approach is, what the fuck are you doing? You are looking to compete. And when you do something like that, you are giving your competition a leg up. Um, they're like, well, but I'm just competing with myself. So, okay, well, that's great. So, you take it seriously. Don't do that. But at the same time, some people just approach it with a slightly different level of intensity. Um, and I respect that. I, I disagree with it, but I, I can appreciate that. Um, it is not, you know, my, my theory also is if you're hiring a coach to get ready for a show, um, you are hiring somebody to call you out on your bullshit rationalization for something like that. And so I, I have I have pulled people out of shows for things like that because it, it tells me what it, you know you got to tell me what your goal is. My goal is I want to be an IFBB pro, and then you do something like that on prep. Time out. You're not a pro. I can tell you right now, you, you don't have a pro mindset because that's what it takes. It is hard. It is hard to get a pro card. And if you approach your prep with with an attitude like that, where you let yourself get away with stuff like that, you're not a pro. <laughs> it's just that that is not that is. Uh, not what it takes to get there. So um, that was supposed to be a talk about your current environment and stress factors. So <laughs> anyway, uh, but it also talks about, you know, the mindset, you know, it depends on what your goal is. And if your goal is to be a pro, then you have to check your mindset and your uh, your willingness to, to sacrifice and suffer a little bit against what's necessary to get there. Um, the last thing would be, uh, and I said before, it doesn't matter how long you've been training, but you know, it kind of does. Um, I, I said it doesn't matter how long you've been training in terms of effective years, but what's your experience level like with training? Um, and so I have um, four tests that I can give you here. Four tests uh, to uh, assess like where you are on the training spectrum as far as your overall skill level in the gym. Um, the first one is the RDL test, the Romanian deadlift test. When you do that exercise, can you really, really... Can, can you make your hamstrings cramp by doing RDLs for sets of 12? If so, great. We've got good mind-muscle connection there. If not, that's a sign that, okay, we've got a mind-muscle connection deficiency there. We probably have one elsewhere. We've got to fix that. Um, the next one is the isometric flex test. If I say do an isometric flex for your biceps, the first thing is do you know what I'm talking about? That tells me something. Um, I, I have this programmed into a, a few of my workouts uh, where there are isometric flexes thrown in and it, it is there and I don't provide a video for it specifically because I want to know who asks me about what that is. If you don't know what an isometric flex is, first of all, it's not the end of the world, but it tells me a lot. Uh, it tells me a lot about your general experience level. So uh, do you know what it is? And if so, when you do it, can you make it feel effective and brutal and hard? 
that's the next one. So it's kind of a two-part test. Um, the next one is the leg press test. This is very basic. Can you, on a, and of course there's going to be some variability in here because leg press machines are different, but generally speaking, if you load up a leg press with double your body weight, can you move that for a good 10 to 15 reps and not feel like you're dying? Very simple, just overall test of strength. Now, there may be injuries, uh, old injuries that are limiting your performance on that. I get that, so you might be an exception for this rule. Um, but generally speaking, if you if you can't leg press twice your body weight, then we have uh, strength deficiencies and also just a lack of experience because with a little experience, that should not be a difficult thing. I mean, difficult, yes. It should be a very doable thing. So um, 2X is a very, very uh, conservative baseline on that. It wouldn't surprise me to see somebody do three or four times their body weight on a leg press either. So um, that's a little bit more advanced, but still double is a good baseline. And the second one is the eyeball test. And this is when I'm watching you lift, does it look like you're lifting? And specifically, like if I crop out everything except your face from a, a video of you lifting, does it look like you're lifting? Does it look like you're straining? Are you grunting? Are you huffing and puffing? Are you sweating? Are you talking to yourself? Are you cussing? Those are all things that I'm looking for. Um, I see a lot of people where, and I've said this before, um, they're in the middle of a set. It looks like they are reading a damn book. That just tells me that the intensity isn't there. We got to ramp that up. Um, and, and we just don't, we are not to the point yet where we are in one of the effective years when it comes to training. It takes time to get there. So another consideration for sure. Um, and you've got to be honest with yourself about that as well. You cannot act and like, you know, ramp up your facial contortions uh, in hopes that it will drive up your, your lifting intensity. It's got to come natural. Like, yeah, I'm not trying to make this face. I can't help it. You know, it's got to be like that. It's got to be legit. So the things that I'm looking for, are you ready to compete? The lifting test, that's the big one. So those four tests, um, your total level of development, your current level of conditioning, your overall diet experience, your current environment, your stress factors, et cetera, and then also have you attended a show. Those are the things that I'm looking for. So um, are you ready to compete? Ask yourself that. And then ask me and say, Darren, am I ready to compete? And we can do an evaluation. So you can you can contact me, you know, email me, Darren at fivestarfitness.com. Go to fivestarphysique.com, click on contact. You can hit me up there. Once again, the call in number, 865-518-2974. The poll up at thedropset.com. Tell me, have you competed before? Let me know. Anybody watching the Olympia weekend this week? Um, we'll talk about it next week probably briefly. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. So uh, I thank you all for listening. Once again, uh, apologize for the delay in getting this up. Uh, but, hey, it's Friday the 13th, and it's a full moon. What does that mean? It means if you're a teacher, you're going to be drinking tonight. So uh, that's what my wife told me as she left for work this morning. So kids apparently get crazy so you've got that to look forward to anyway once again thanks for listening appreciate it check in with you on Monday.